into a good circle. Is that Angelus? We're now on season four, episode 54 of this podcast. And this time we'll be discussing another interesting topic about artificial intelligence tool that will help CRO professionals on generating revenue streams. For today's podcast episode, we have invited once again Mr. Sajid Bukhari, presently the CEO of GiniPay, a formidable B2B platform from Sydney, Australia, as he shares with us his valuable insights on this platform as well as its significant relevance to our digital economy. So let's get started. Thank you for listening to FinCircle and welcome to our podcast. Chief Revenue Officers, or commonly known as CROs, will play an important role in establishing revenue streams for the organization. In fact, 35% of the Chief Revenue Officers will establish a generative AI operations team in their go-to-market organization by 2025, according to Gartner. There will be faster, deeper insight generated by artificial intelligence that will accelerate the speed at which go-to-market teams produce buyer content and adapt to market forces, ultimately improving the reliability of sales decisions and improving end-to-end revenue outcomes. Currently, sellers spend 52% of their time on creating and delivering value messaging across the sales process according to the most recent Gartner's assessment of indicatively around 1,204 sellers in May 2023. 
generative value messaging or the ability to harness the power of generative AI for buyer-centric messaging and content will significantly reduce the time it takes sellers to produce and disseminate quality content. There is a great burden on sellers to deliver customized value stories to all the buyers and all the deals in their pipeline, according to Gartner. When generative AI is strategically combined with sellers' creativity and compelling data, frontline sellers can craft better buyer messaging faster. The Generative Value Messaging Operational Framework, as highlighted by Gartner Group, gives revenue leaders a roadmap to start resourcing deliberate generative AI activities, helping them harness its benefits for persuasive and personalized messaging, while also managing and mitigating risk. The framework consists of the following components, namely, number one, Value messaging from where it covers a holistic strategy for B2B sales messaging and storytelling. Number two, generative rev tech from where it covers the sales and marketing tech featuring generative AI. Number three, gen AI operations from where it covers the management and tuning of gen AI data and systems. Number four, Messaging workflows from where design and operation of Gen AI messaging workflows establishes. Number five, last but not the least, messaging insights from where analysis of messaging uh, insights and buyer activation. AI, the uh, front line of generative artificial intelligence operations. Our messaging strategies are internal creators responsible for messaging program design. Their roles involve fine-tuning generative AI models and maintaining content moderation policies, among others, to deliver generative value messaging. By 2025, Gartner anticipates 45% of B2B revenue organizations will lease prompt engineering as a required skill on job description for messaging strategist role. Moreover, based on the most recent research study from Gartner, by adopting generative value messaging, CROs will improve sales execution to top-line growth, drive resource efficiency that lower the cost of sales and create more custom-made content for opportunities previously constrained by the limitations of only humans creating content. Therefore, the path of the future is now within our reach. In today's podcast episode, we'll be talking to the Chief Executive Officer of Ginny Pay from Sydney, Australia, Sajid Bukhari, as he explains to us the significant potential of artificial intelligence for the Chief Revenue Officers to improve the growth potential and efficiency of business worldwide. It's a great privilege to have you again, Sajid, and welcome back to FinCircle. Thank you for having me, Edgar. It's an absolute pleasure to be back. Let's probably start by describing the developments on the CRO, or Chief Revenue Officer role, and revenue stream operation landscape 
globally at this stage and where do you think we are heading yeah that's a, that's a really interesting question and it's really interesting because the CRO role or the chief revenue officer role has really come about in the last 10 years uh, traditionally companies have divided the revenue life cycle uh, of a customer under different teams uh, so for example revenue activities from new customers were typically under marketing and sales revenue from existing customers uh, was typically under the customer success team and so you usually have a chief marketing officer a chief sales officer and a head of uh, customer success who typically reports to the uh, chief sales officer now that that setup is great uh, when each unit can focus and specialize on their respective operations. Uh, but it also means there is probably very little collaboration occurring uh, between these teams for managing the revenue lifecycle uh, of a customer between marketing, sales, and the customer success teams. The only real person in a company uh, that usually op that was operating across these three functions has typically been the CEO. Uh, but the CEO has so many other jobs uh, to do. And so it became a really inefficient way uh, for companies to manage the, the revenue operations of a, of a customer. And so the CRO role uh, was born out of this realization uh, that there needs to be someone in the executive team who operates across sales, marketing, and CS. Um, as I mentioned, the CRO role has really only come about in the last 10 years. It's grown so much every year that last year in 2023, the head of revenue operations, that title, it was the most hired job uh, according to LinkedIn. And so there is this tremendous change underway in how organizations manage and monitor their revenue operations. Uh, I think we're heading to a place where the CRO role will eventually become as prominent as let's say a, a chief sales officer or, or chief marketing officer role. Uh, it's it's already interesting from my perspective to see that it's not just large organizations which are focusing on creating CRO roles. I've seen many, many late stage startups and small businesses now also incorporate CRO roles just because of so, many, so much of the efficiencies that they can bring. I understand, Sajid, that uh, you recently started a very powerful platform called GeniePay that will make a difference to the efficiency of revenue operations team. Hence, what are your main influences and motivation on starting this remarkable initiative? I think for us, uh, it really comes down to the fact that the main focus of the business is its revenue. And so when we started speaking with companies and the revenue operations teams within these companies, we were actually quite shocked uh, to see that almost all of them we're using a mishmash of, of spreadsheets, of, uh, of BI dashboards and PDF reports to try and manage their revenue operations. And as a result, we noticed that these revenue operations professionals were engaging in a substantial amount of manual administration work. And a lot of that manual administration work was simply copy pasting data from sales systems, uh, from marketing systems, from the finance systems into their own spreadsheets. Uh, then these revenue operations professionals would manually cleanse and clean that data before they'll finally be able to derive some insights and how they can improve their revenue. We saw them wasting hours each week in manual administration simply because there was no platform tailor-made for the office of the chief revenue officer. 
and we knew there was a better way. And I especially saw firsthand uh, whilst I was at Volopay, uh, which essentially was a purpose-built platform for finance teams. Uh, I could see the efficiencies and value a focused platform can bring to business teams. And so we wanted to replicate this uh, for revenue teams. And we looked at the technology stack that's available today, and, and we think that now is the time to incorporate not just uh, technology available off the shelf, but generative AI technologies really is purpose-built for automating and bringing out contextual insights for a lot of this manual work. And so that's where we started, and that really pushed us to, to begin uh, in this area. Global marketplaces have significant potentials on structure and growth, particularly on generating revenue streams. However, there are various challenges as well which somehow influences its profitability and sustainability. Thus, what are your relevant takeaways in managing these hurdles? That's a great question, and I think it's incredibly uh, prominent now, this issue, especially during uh, you know the last few years we've had a COVID shock, which has literally, literally impacted every single business in the world, <clears throat> some industries more than others in terms of their profitability sustainability, a lot of businesses have actually, you know, failed uh, because they were just running unsustainable business models pre-COVID. And now with rising interest rates, rising inflation, so many businesses and especially startups, uh, you know, at, at our level and much later stage startups as well, are finding it very difficult to, to, uh, to survive and access funding. And it's really put the focus on that business models, I think, really have to focus on being sustainable uh, as well as, of course, having a, a key strategy towards profitability. Uh, and so those are some of the key takeaways that we've we've learned over the last two years and we've incorporated into GiniPay in that we've purposely kept our capital burden incredibly low. Uh, we leverage full software solutions. We're trying to be very asset light. Um, and it's hence one of the reasons why we pivoted away from offering uh, financing or capital working capital solutions. Uh, you know, for, for your viewers may not know that GiniPay initially started out as a payments and financing product uh, for um, you know mid market organizations to improve their revenue. But we moved away from that simply because it, it we couldn't access fund debt funding ourselves in a sustainable way in this current environment, and so we ourselves had to iterate and and pivot to more, a more sustainable model which we also believe now has a bigger and larger market uh, and, 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 and more value that we can deliver through that as well. One of the main pain points on any business organizations, either big or small, are the pivoting market, which somehow shift their focus into new areas to stay relevant and keep up with the competition. And so what are the value proposition of GiniPay on this particular circumstance? For GiniPay, our main value proposition really is to help companies improve their revenue potential. Uh, as, as I mentioned, revenue is the most important thing for businesses. Um, <clears throat> they are focusing on revenue potential and the efficiency of how they generate revenue more so than ever. Uh, it has to be done in a sustainable way. It has to be done in an efficient way. And of course, it has to be revenue has to be extracted at each stage of the customer lifecycle. So it's not just starting up new customers to improve revenue. There is, there is and there should be a huge focus on your existing customers as well. 
and how you can extract revenue through reducing churn, uh, increasing your upsells. And so GiniPay is really focused on that end-to-end revenue lifecycle uh, of a customer. That is one of our main value propositions. Uh, through that, we help companies also reduce their costs. Uh, as I've mentioned, because of the automation that we're bringing to a lot of these workflows, uh, chief revenue officers do not need to hire 10 different analysts to do a lot of this manual work. Maybe they only need to hire two or three. Uh, and the platform can do the heavy lifting in terms of automation and, and cleansing data. And of course, because we're applying uh, a variety of LLM models, the power of the generative AI that we're applying to deliver contextual and commercial insights, we're enabling accessibility to powerful AI technologies for a lot of businesses. And we found that's really useful for businesses um, that are not big enough to have an in-house data team. And that is, of course, the vast majority of businesses they who don't have an in-house data science team. They then have to re- rely on their personal, maybe personal uh, financial modeling skills or personal data science skills. And that is extremely limited. And so through the for our platform, we're enabling access uh, to a lot of uh, complex data science uh, techniques to these companies that don't have an internal data science team. Uh, and it's the traction is, is, is growing quite well. I understand, Sajid, that uh, your group recently launched your MVP for GiniPay. Perhaps you can tell us more about it, particularly the outstanding results, as well as the stakeholders' expectation on this activity. Yeah, so uh, Edgar, we, we launched our MVP. We did our pilot program with a, with a few customers. We ran that for three months. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, GiniPay was... Uh, Prior to the running the pilot program, GiniPay was also a payments and financing product that would not only help you run the revenue lifecycle of your customer, but also facilitate the payments and financing aspect so your sales team can also just close deals very quickly. Now, once we ran that pilot program, we realized uh, the payments and financing aspect was not delivering as much value to our customers as we thought it would. Uh, however, the workflow automation, the insights uh, aspect of our platform was delivering a lot of value, especially to mid-market companies that were not big enough to have data science teams internally. And so we had to make that shift. We had to iterate the MVP or our working prototype now looks different to what we had before the pilot program. We no longer do payments and financing. It has also meant we're a more sustainable business model because we're more capital light. We don't need debt funding to keep on uh, financing these transactions. And we've iterated to a more a, a B2B SaaS type solution, a software-led solution, uh, which focuses on applying AI to workflow automation and insight analysis, specifically for uh, revenue operations teams. According to Gartner, 35% of CROs or chief revenue officers will establish generative AI in their go-to-market organization within the next two years so as to democratize, accelerate, and enable the production of this what we call buyer-centric messaging and content. What's your thoughts on this probability? I think that's a really interesting statistic. I think there is almost absolute certainty Uh, generative AI technologies will be utilized to bring efficiencies into the chief revenue officer space, the chief revenue officer, uh, you know, the teams, the revenue operations teams. 
simply because of the amount of manual administration that goes on, the manual data cleansing these teams do when they collate data from different uh, from the different teams and platforms. Because they're working across different teams, they actually have to then negotiate a lot of the different platforms being used by the different teams. Uh, they have to extract that data from those different platforms. That data usually is in a different structure for each platform. These revenue operations teams have to unify that data, structure it, uh, and then, of course, uh, before they can do any analytics, uh, you know, to, to derive insights. And so that is a very manual process. That is actually almost half of the entire workload of a revenue operations analyst or associate is in this data cleansing, data extraction phase. <laughs> and so it's really a perfect match for the capabilities of many of the generative AI models available today. Um, however, I do expect, of course, that a lot of generative AI and LLM models will need to be fine-tuned for the specific needs of different industries. And this is something that we're working on in the background. Uh, we've noticed with the off-the-shelf LLM models today, it will get to it'll get you to about 80-85% of the requirement of a revenue operations professional. There is further fine-tuning that needs to be done both in terms of data analysis, uh, data cleansing, and financial modeling uh, that we have to do on top of this. But you know, as you can imagine that if slightly more than one third of all global CROs are looking to incorporate generative AI into their technology stacks, it is a, it is a tremendous global opportunity and one that is worth uh, pursuing. We cannot deny the fact that generative AI really helps no? build an end-to-end -end sales and marketing engine that uh, somehow fully automates campaign creation, setup, steering, and analytics, which certainly promotes the acceleration of a content engine. How do you think business organizations can leverage on this artificial intelligence for optimizing its business growth potential and scalability, given their outdated systems and heterogeneous data sources? I think th this is a really important question. So everyone is really excited by the prospect of generative AI, and it seems to be in <clears throat> in all the annual presentations and you know shareholder meetings of these large organizations. Okay, we're going to invest in generative AI, uh, but the first step, of course, in getting the output from this generative AI is that your internal data needs to be high quality. Your internal data needs to be in a structure that can be fed into these AI or LLM models for it to generate output. And so the first thing these companies need to do is begin an internal effort to cleanse and structure their data so that it can be ingested into whatever generative AI technology that they choose to bring efficiencies to their, to their companies. If you feed low quality messy data to a generative AI model, the output will also be of very low quality. It will be a complete waste of time the output will actually be much worse than what any human can, of course, produce. So it'll be complete investment <clears throat> uh, investment sink. And so it's crucial as a first step that companies, with all the outdated systems and heterogeneous data that they have, they need to begin efforts to actually align it, align the data. But, but once they do this, and it will be a difficult process, it's not an easy process. It requires, in my opinion, an internal change transformation project, which needs to be spearheaded by an executive to really drive that investment and drive that poor show it's done across the organization. But once it's done, the benefits and potential of these generative AI technologies 
to increase business potential and efficiencies really is is quite limitless. And so it's it's worth the effort and investment. That's a very good point, uh, Sajid. From your perspective, what spells the difference between GiniPay and its adversaries? I think w- one of the main differences between us and some of the competitors in the uh, revenue operations space is that we focus on the entire end-to-end uh, revenue lifecycle of customers. So many of the revenue operations platforms uh, simply focus on parts of the revenue lifecycle. So to give you an example, some may focus on improving revenue from new customers. And so <clears throat> they really focus on improving perhaps your marketing metrics. They improve. They focus on improving your sales metrics, such as uh, demos booked or number of meetings booked or number of emails outreached to. And they will, will completely ignore the customer success part, which is, of course, revenue from existing customers in reducing churn. And that's a really, in our opinion, that is a, it is a tremendous uh, unfortunate thing because increasing revenue from existing customers, whether it's through improving customer retention or through upselling is a far more cost-effective way of uh, increasing net new revenue uh, than new customer acquisition. And so that's, that's actually a learning I took from VoloPay where we increased our revenues far more from existing customers, reducing churn and, and building out insights to really in, kind of predict which customers are at risk of churning and how to proactively manage that from your customer success team. And that's a really key part of our platform, that end-to-end process, not just the new customer aspect, but also the existing customer aspect. And the second thing is, I think we, for us, we were just lucky that we started when generative AI technologies were really coming to the mass market. A lot of the competitors have started maybe two years before us. And so for them, they really just added on generative AI as like a little side feature or something uh, you know, onto their core platform without really revolutionizing the entire workflow. Whereas from the ground up, we've built it that generative AI is at the core of what we're doing. So everything either needs to be automated, it needs to have uh, efficient insights and analytics driven into it, and it needs to be very simply, uh, simply the platform needs to be simply worked through to incorporate conversational text to make data analysis really easy for everyone, even if it's uh, someone who doesn't have a data analysis background. And so the differences around that are in terms of the product strategy as well. And so those are the some of the key factors which we differentiate ourselves. I've known you for quite a while, uh, Sajid. And given your stellar track record in launching scalable, successful, and exceptional fintech products and services, any word of advice that you can give for those who are just starting up and somehow struggling on this regard? Oh, that's a really great question, Edgar. And, um, you know, thank you for the kind words. I wish. You know, this is such a, a key question. I wish I have um, useful advice to give to people. I can only tell what I've learned in my personal experience. And for anyone, you know, either creating a fintech or a startup in any space, especially in the B2B space, uh, what I have found is that it is incredibly important to focus on and get a deep understanding of the customer pain points you are trying to solve. <laughs> And I know that is generic advice, but I cannot tell you how important it is to not uh, to not get too attached to your solution. And I say that because 
in the early stages of building a startup, the solution that you provide may actually go through many versions and iterations before we can actually start delivering some sort of value to customers. And we've experienced this both in Volapay, my current startup at Junipay, where of course we've had to change, iterate, be agile, because what you think are the customer pain points and how you think you can solve them are two completely different things. And so if you're glued to the actual solution, there is always a danger that as a founder, you may keep trying to fit the solution in into that problem, it doesn't work, but you keep on just wasting time and money trying try to find a way to fit this solution in when clearly it's not the way to deliver value. Now, if you're glued to the problem, you are much more likely to be agile and receptive to customer feedback uh, in relation to a solution that doesn't work and the changes that need to be, to be made. Um, my second advice from my personal learnings would be that don't try to over-engineer an MVP or a prototype. Uh, you need to have a basic MVP that only has a couple or a few features uh, you want you want to test. Really, the main point of MVP or prototype is you're testing features. You're not trying to deliver the entire product. That's not the point. You only want to have maybe two or three features in the MVP that you think are the best ways to solve those customer pain points. Uh, so you need to engage in an exercise of listing out customer pain points and then, of course, potential solutions. You need to prioritize which of those solutions do you think will deliver the most value. And those top two or three solutions or features are the ones that make it into your prototype or MVP in a very basic way. Uh, and then you need to just give it to your early users. And again, early users should only be, in my opinion, especially in the B2B space, three or four, maximum five, no more than this, because you will get confused with different customer feedback. You want certain type of customer in a, a specific type of persona to give you feedback on, on your early MVP. They will start giving you feedback on the features that actually give them value in terms of what they're doing. They will also give you feedback on the features that are not giving them value. And that is why you only want to have two or three or four features so you can actually figure out which features are giving them value. If you add 10 or 20 features, it'll become very confusing for you to figure out what actually gives value. And then you take this feedback and it's just a simple loop of iterating changing the product, incorporating new features, sending it back to users, and then getting feedback until eventually, hopefully, you can build out an early version of a fully working product. Uh, and those would be some of the key learnings I've had. Very well said. Are there any initiatives, Aji, that you're working on as well as you're on the pipeline plan for GiniPay this coming 2024 and beyond that you would like to share with our podcast listening audience? And what are the easiest way of uh, reaching out or contacting you? Thanks for the question, Edgar. I think for us, 2024 really is a year for us to really go supercharge what we're trying to do. We we're finding very early traction in the supply chain and importer and exporter space. That is an area that we're super interested in. We are going deeper into the workflows and, and working with a lot of those companies operating in this space, particularly importers and shipping companies are finding a lot of value in what we're doing, simply because these are typically industries where they've been using very outdated products. Uh, no one's really been looking at them. It's not a very sexy industry, supply chain and shipping and importing. So to our advantage, it's been uh, it's allowed us to make some early entry points into that area. And that's something that we'll continue to hopefully uh, deepen in, in this year. Uh, in terms of where people can reach out to me, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Just search my name, send a message on LinkedIn, or of course my email, which is just sajid, S-A-J-I-D at geniepay.io. 
Well, thanks so much, Sajid, for sharing us your valuable insights on the uh, artificial intelligence for CROs and its uh, valuable importance to the business community and virtual economy as a whole. We wish you all the best and uh, great success in the uh, future. Thank you so much, Edgar. I had an absolute blast with you once again. Ginipay. We would like to express our utmost gratitude to Sajid Bukhari on sharing us his remarkable perspective on the greatest potential of AI for CROs and its significant importance to our digital economy. We would like to hear from you. Share us your thoughts regarding our topics and send us a message on the Anchor Voice message box. Your message could end up on our future podcast episode. Make sure you never miss any episodes of FinCircle by clicking the subscribe button or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Amazon Music, Pocket Cast, Audible, Overcast, TuneIn, Stitcher, Castbox, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm and affiliated podcast platforms. You can also reach us on our website at fincircle.wordpress.com and our Facebook page at Fincircle Podcast. This concludes our podcast episode today. Thank you for listening on Fincircle. This is Ed Angelus. Let's catch up again soon.